Bankless Nation. Happy third week of November. David, what time is it? It's the Friday Bankless weekly roll-up time, the time where we try and roll up an entire week of crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, but we have fun doing it regardless. Ryan, are you ready to roll up the week? I'm ready, man. Hey, I like your shirt, by the way, David. I, it looks like we're doing the, the red-black combo. Yep, red-black shirt. Totally. Yep. Wait, is that a full Spider-Man uniform? Do you have the no, pants no, to match I that? No, okay. pan, pants are just shorts. Like, okay. They're just shorts. <laughs> I was just yeah, like, wait yeah, a second, uh -huh. Peter Parker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people always tell me I look like um, uh, Tobey Maguire, so I'm just run, taking that and running with it. The original Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire? Yes, the OG. Who's your, fa the, the who's your favorite Spider-Man, by the way? Oh, Peter Parker. Have it. Oh, well, I mean, excuse no, that, me, excuse yeah. me, Toby Maguire. Toby Maguire. Toby Maguire? I look like him. That's what people tell me. Of course, he's my favorite. <laughs> New guy's really good. What's his name? Um, oh yeah, yeah. Why I know who can't you're I think of his name? He's uh, really good too. I know who you're talking about, but I don't know his name. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. Brian Sean Adams well, and Toby Maguire. We've got some main events to cover this week. One is Constitution Dow. David, a Dow is buying the U.S. Constitution. What's <laughs> up with that? We got to cover that. Also, Adidas is issuing NFTs now, a POAP badge. Uh, Jimmy Fallon. Just bought a board ape, or so I'm in, so I'm told, and crypto.com bought an entire no, they didn't buy it. I think they put their name on an entire arena, which seems to be the trend among crypto banks. So guys, we are gonna cover all of those things. Gonna be a hot week in crypto, as it always is. David, we should talk about permissionless because I believe new tickets just went on sale. You recall every two weeks new tickets go on sale, they're issued, they get a little bit more expensive every time. So you wanna get in early. This is going to be the, I think, conference event, DeFi conference event of uh, 2022. And I said DeFi, but it's not just DeFi. It's it's the metaverse as well. It's, you know, regulation, DeFi, like we're covering it all. If you are a bankless listener, if you're a bankless member, I should say, premium member, you get a discount on the subscription. It's a 20% discount. We'll include a link in the show notes to that. David, are you excited about this conference? I know you've been going to a lot of conference conferences lately but what's what's special about this one? Oh yeah no the, all of these conferences that i'm going to are just practice for going to permissionless <laughs> in in may i'm like working my way up to it right yeah so yeah. permissionless in may in miami or yeah in south beach miami uh, palm, excuse me palm beach in in florida all of well, florida is the same uh, it's gonna be a ton of fun i'm really looking forward to the, the party that we're throwing we still have to get that ball rolling with planning that thing uh may is gonna come around quick uh, so you got to get your tickets because you got to come. Me and Ryan are, uh, unless we find some reason to meet beforehand, this will be where me and Ryan shake hands. So if you yeah. want to watch you that, so? like, yeah. I might come I, to ETH Denver, but but maybe oh, yeah. this will okay. be the one. Okay. We'll All see. Right. We'll mm -hmm. see. Uh, anyway, it'll be historic. Certainly biggest DeFi conference of the year. David, let's also talk about this. We are doing a new office hours. This is for Bankless Premium members. First one starts today as you're listening to this on Friday. So we're going to be hanging out in the Inner Circle Discord and answering questions, uh, kind of ask me anything style. And a whole bunch of Bankless members have been already asking questions. Some of these are pretty tricky, dude. Yeah. Like, uh, like are, this is not, not the 101 level no, questions, yeah. mm -hmm. right? These are like, you know, 300s level, 400s level. Some of them, uh, I'm curious, like somebody asked uh, what our bags are. Yeah, I want to hear what your bags are, David Hoffman. <laughs> I think that, that's going to be the, the theme of this uh, AMA is like really technical, hard questions that I'm actually going to have to do my homework on. And then what are my bags? <laughs> that's going to be the two <laughs> types of questions that we see. <laughs> yeah, that'll be really fun, though. Uh, the last thing we got to mention is our friends at Opolis are doing something super cool. David, tell them what Opolis is while I click the link here. 
Yeah, Opolis is DAO infrastructure by a DAO. Uh, so we always talk about how you can go work for DAOs nowadays, just hop into the Discord, start contributing. One of the unsolved problems with living a DAO life is things like healthcare benefits or all the other benefits that you would get at a typical centralized company. Well, Opolis is a co-op, a co-op DAO of sorts that is providing all of these same basic employment services for people that work for DAOs. So you can get healthcare, payroll uh, services, all through Opolis. And just like all the other DAOs, if you use Opolis, you become an owner in Opolis. Uh, and so if you actually sign up before the end of the year and choose to get your payroll paid by Opolis, you get a 1,000 work token, that's the token for Opolis uh, bonus, along with a 1,000 bank tokens as well. So if you want to sign up with Opolis, there's a link in the show notes where you can chat with a membership steward today and get some of your uh, typical Web2 legacy infrastructure working for you in Web3. Guys, this is really cool. The future of work is the self-sovereign worker, basically. And this is what Opolis allows. Also, David, I didn't know this, but uh, on the payroll, you can get paid in crypto. Nice. Want to get paid in ETH? Yes. Want to get yes, paid in, you know, yes, some... Well, you can with Opolis. Mm -hmm. So really cool that they are providing this. So make sure you check that out, Bankless listeners. All right, David, you ready for markets time? Let's talk about King Bitcoin. Ooh. Still on the top. But Oof. it's been a sad week for yeah. Bitcoin. We are down. What? How much are we down at yeah. the time of recording, David? Yeah, we, we had some some good weeks leading up to this one. So it's no surprise that we had a bit of a pullback. We started this week at $60,000, uh, hit a high of $66,000, but currently are at $57,000 and $800. Uh, so down about 11% on the week. So yeah, 11%. That's a, not a small number. Sad music playing right sad, now. Sad, how sad how about ETH? Is it saying a similar story? Yeah, yeah. Started the week at $42,000, hit a high of $4,800, and is currently clocking in at just above $4,000. We were very briefly below $4,000 about an hour ago before we started recording. Right now, we're at $4,056, overall down 13.5% on the week. Allow me, sir, to zoom out. May I zoom out? Right. Uh, please do. Please do. <laughs> Let's look at it on the monthly. Up, we're up on the monthly. We're up a little bit on the monthly. So we mm -hmm. started the month at uh, 3,800, still up on the monthly. So, you know, if if you told us we would be about here a, a month from now, mm -hmm. that would be okay. Let's take a look at the three-month uh, time period. So I guess we're up on the three-month. Remember all crab season, all summer, we were basically in into like, I, I guess, uh, into uh, September. We were kind of hanging in this 3K range, mm -hmm. you know? And under 3K felt a little bit like sad, a little bit bearish, but we we're just yeah. hugging this 3K line. Now we're at 4K. So, I mean, still like we got a lot to be thankful for going into the Thanksgiving holidays. Two, two weeks ago, people were just like, please give me 4K. Please give yes. me 4K. <laughs> then we go up to $4,800 and now we're back down to 4K and people are like, oh, I'm so bearish. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it's this this out. the year to date graph that you have up right now, like yeah. it's pretty choppy. But there is a very clear up and to the right trend for the entire last twelve months, right? And yeah. so again, just short term chop. And I think if you want the big picture story, we had Ben Cohen uh, Cowan on our podcast mm -hmm. on Tuesday of this week, and um, he kind of you know he's the chart expert. He's the cartographer, as he mm -hmm. said. He charts this out far into the future. So if you're looking to get a hold of where we are in the cycle, the fourth cycle, make sure you check out that episode as well. Yeah, that, David, was, really, that was a really fun episode to, to record. Let's talk sure. about the ETH Bitcoin uh, ratio, because that's something we talked about with Ben as well. Uh, where are we right now? Uh, marginally down on the week. I believe last week we we're at 0 0.072. We are clocking in at 0 0.07. So just down a, down a smidge on the week. 
down a smidge on the week. Not a big story there, but we continue to monitor that. Mm -hmm. uh, DeFi, pul uh, DeFi Pulse is telling us total locked value in DeFi is still above $100 billion. Not bad for sort of a bearish week. We're at $106 billion. Anything else you want to say about that? Yeah, Maker continuing to have that dominance as the number one uh, most locked uh, DeFi app, uh, clocking in at 16.7% of all value locked in DeFi. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, DeFi Pulse Index. Oof. So this is oof, a list of oof. your DeFi tokens. So looks like DeFi took a big tumble. It this looks week. like a big oof, Ryan. <laughs> that's is that down eighteen percent? Almost nineteen percent. Yeah, started the week about at four hundred and twenty dollars. Nice. Uh, now is at three hundred and twenty dollars. Down a hundred dollars. Yeah, almost twenty percent on the week. What is, happened to DeFi? I guess yeah. you know what. It's still if you zoom out on the month it's about the same as yep. it was a month ago it's just because we thought we were going back into a DeFi season momentarily mm -hmm. and then this week told us otherwise absolutely yeah yeah B big rug by the DeFi tokens for, the, for this <laughs> last month like big big up then followed by big down sad story for DeFi tokens lately but mm -hmm. this tells the saddest story of them all david you know this you know this graph very well you know what's coming at this point in the show you try to strip it out of the agenda i put it back in sir you don't uh, really do that it's okay this but, is uh, it, ryan's the talking about of course ETH. the dpi over eth the dpi eth ratio which over the last november it's been flat uh so that that 0 0.08 is the new floor um well, we don't know how strong that floor is. Last time I talked about a floor, <laughs> I was wrong about that. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's been flat for November, clocking in at 0 0.08, a little bit down on the week. Wow, it's it's down just like we know uh, we know it's down. We know it's down. <laughs> it just keeps going down. Uh, let's talk about the bed though. So this is our combo of a third Bitcoin, a third ETH, and a third uh, DPI. So what is this showing us this week? It's yeah. down. Yeah, quite it's a bit. down. It's down. Yeah, down. It started the week at two hundred dollars, clocking in currently at one hundred and sixty dollars, down sixteen percent on the week. Yep. Sadness. Sad music playing. Down, yep. down, down. But let's look at the happier side of things, David. One contract that is OpenSea just clocked in hundred k ETH that it has burnt. You know, we monitor the amount of ETH being burnt on kind of a weekly, monthly basis. This is one single application on top of Ethereum, of course, like the most, the largest NFT application to date. And that application alone, OpenSea, has burned over 100,000 ETH supply. Pretty insane to see these numbers. Yeah, and it's crazy that that's just one application. Granted, if you add in Uniswap V2 and V3, you actually get uh, 108,000 ETH burned if you combine those two things. Um, but again, the point is one single contract burned over 100,000 ETH, which is just crazy. I think it's interesting to look at this leaderboard by apps, right, over the, the full time span. So mm -hmm. what what are the big product market fits for Ethereum today, right? Well, the first is NFTs. You see that in OpenSea. Um, this, you know, the second is Uniswap, as you mentioned, that's maybe even greater than OpenSea. So we're doing NFTs, we're doing a lot of trading. Uh, the third is actually ETH trans transfers. Mm -hmm. So we're sending ETH back and forth to one another. ETH, the pristine collateral, the, uh, the native currency of Ethereum, the money of the Ethereum economy is actually burning a lot of ETH itself. And then the uh, the fourth is a stablecoin, is Tether. Yeah. I think this shows us, like, if you want to encapsulate what are the product market fit use cases for uh, crypto to date, it's like NFTs, DeFi, predominantly trading, uh, ETH transfers, ETH payments, and stablecoins. That kind of sums it up. So it makes sense that we'd see those applications here. 
Actually, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be uh, offer a counterpoint because I actually don't think that that is the perfect proxy for showing product market fit because uh, collateralized borrowing and lending is a huge product that DeFi offers that clearly has demand. And that's actually something that doesn't burn a lot of ETH by the nature of what it is, because it doesn't just doesn't require a lot of transactions, right? So you, you lock up a bunch of ETH one time, you borrow like USDC or DAI one time, and then you go and do stuff. But like, that's a huge use case. Uh, a lot of value, like imagine how much TVL is in DeFi, over $100 billion, but that doesn't necessarily actually create the incentive to make transactions on Ethereum in the way that trading and payments do. Uh, payment trading and payments is just simply things that happen in very large quantities on a reoccurring basis and therefore burns a lot of ETH. Yeah, that's a great point, David. I guess it doesn't cover everything. Certainly, it doesn't cover all of those uh, total locked value collateral type use cases in this metric. Um, let's also talk about this. This Why don't you read out this tweet? It's another crazy metric that we don't often talk about. Yeah, for the listeners, there's a graph here, and the tweet says, crazy metric that I haven't heard anyone talk about. EIP-1559 has now burned more tokens than Ethereum miners currently hold. Um, miners generally hold the assets that they are mining because they generally believe in the things that they're mining rather than just being pure profit. Um, but as you can see, the amount of cumulative Ether being burnt is just like skyrocketing in relation to actual miners being holding onto Ether. Uh, and so it's just a kind of a cool comparison, cool metric. Um, this is, is feels like forced hodling by the network itself, right? Like all that orange amount of Ether being burnt is like Ether, Ethereum itself, the protocol putting Ether in the piggy bank for a rainy day, right? And this is really what EIP-1559 is. It's, it's locking in revenue so that it makes Ether more scarce so that when it becomes time to actually subsidize security, um, we actually have like reserves to actually subsidize security for. Of course, this also means gas fees continue to go up. So average gas fees, I believe, like the month of October and into November were like higher than they ever have been. So people transacting on mainnet are feeling the, sque the squeeze for sure. And that's why hopefully layer two uh, is coming. And, I, you know, I believe it's coming. We're, we're seeing it coming, but um, hopefully oh. it gets here quickly. We have some layer two things to talk about. So we will dive into that subject later. Well, let's talk about when's the best time actually to do an Ethereum transaction on mainnet. Yeah, this is a, a fantastic, fun little, fun little fun fact, which are my favorite kind of facts. Uh, this is uh, Mark Andre Dumas, who I believe still works at uh, MakerDAO, uh, really big data guy. And he says, Ethereum base fee, which is the gas price, is on average 8% higher at the top of the hour. So you should schedule your transactions accordingly, meaning that the last 10 minutes of an hour, uh, like, you know, the... 250 to 259 is actually there's 8% uh, lower gas fees on average and if you want to click that, that little uh, that image Ryan you can you can see the, the data here apparently there's just a surge in demand in the first like 15 to 20 minutes that tapers off for the rest of the hour so that's an interesting little tidbit people have their transactions scheduled for the top of the hour for some reason that's kind of weird huh yeah, that's uh, weird. So, yeah I wonder why that happens uh, but you know what? I read this report this week that was, you know, Bitcoin stock to flow uh, mm -hmm. model that um, has been quite popular in, in terms of predicting Bitcoin's price. Totally. Somebody actually put together a flows based price projection for Ethereum, which is super interesting. And this is the graph they came up with. Um, this is flows based on a price model with and without EIP 1559. So the without EIP 1559 is shaded in this uh, red portion. The with EIP uh, 1559 is shaded in this blue portion. And then they went as so far as to estimate what this looks like, kind of like a long-term theoretical price model on a, on a flows-based calculation, 
post the merge. So when issuance on the proof of work chain goes away, drops from like four, four and a quarter percent all the way to zero. And all we have is issuance on um, the proof of stake chain, which is like also, of course, um, you, you have to subtract the IP 1559 and the fee burn for that. What's this going to look like? And the model tries to produce uh, predict pricing. And it predicts pricing um, as of like July. Let's say the merge happens in July of next year, which might be about right, right? It feels like maybe not too conservative. It feels probably about right. Anyway, price for July 2022 uh, should be oscillating around 65,000 ETH at that point in time. And this again is if you just use a, a stock to flow kind of, you know, theoretical pricing model, which you know, takes into account all of the new supply that is getting injected into the market. You kind of model that out. So what's super interesting to me, David, is just this is still another is yet another indication that it's not priced in. Okay, mm -hmm. like the merge, proof of stake, everything that's happening on Ethereum, I still feel like whether we're at 4,000 ETH, 3,000 ETH, 5,000 ETH, 8,000 ETH, 10,000 ETH, maybe it's still not priced in. I mean, like you guys can read this, uh, read this report for yourself and uh, see what you think. There's some other interesting graphics uh, from it as well, including this one, which is actually uh, one of my favorite, most bullish charts for, for going bankless. This is the amount of Ether on exchanges. And over the last 16 months, there's been a 36% decrease on ether of ether on centralized exchanges and it's going somewhere it's going to staking contracts going in smart contracts uh going in you know DeFi protocols is going off of exchanges and that is a good thing for for bankless so i don't know what's your take do you think this stuff is priced in or or are we like i mean why why isn't the market reacting to this because you know somebody told me the other day hey ryan none of this is secret information right, right? what you guys are saying like at, people know that the merge is happening people know that there's this supply shock i mean it's not just bankless saying this now it's it's others who are saying it it's it's a well-known public fact has the market priced this in yet or not um oh I, I don't think the market has ever priced anything about ethereum in like the, <laughs> what ethereum is is so hard to like completely understand and like yeah a lot of people are talking about like the whole modular blockchain how ethereum over its time will ultimately become a platform that sells its space to other blockchains, not to other humans or individuals or funds or whatever. Uh, and like, that's the most sustainable form of revenue of all time when you're like other blockchains are your, your primary clients. Um, and like maybe people look at that $65,000 ether price and they just scoff and like, that's too ridiculous. That's too crazy. Why are you in crypto in the first place? If that's what you think, like, <laughs> this is what our industry it's is like, crazy. Do you know crypto? Yeah, like, like, have you been here? Right, How long like, have you been here exactly? We're here for the craziness, right? Uh, and so, uh, I, but the craziness is commonplace. I yeah. mean, it would be it would be crazier to expect not crazy things. Yes, that is true. This is absolutely true. And like the humans are not very good at understanding or thinking in exponentials. Um, and so like you, it, it takes some time to wrap, wrap your head around, oh, this isn't a two X game. This is a 10 X game. Right. Uh, and this isn't happening over a decade. This is happening over like two, one to three years. Uh, and so like when I see the $65,000 ETH price tag, I'll be shocked just like the next person, just because it's a shocking number, but like, it's also kind of expected. Well, and this, this, this model specifically is kind of interesting because it's just based on issuance, right? Mm -hmm. It's based on you, you hold demand constant. 
and then you decrease issuance by the right. amount it's about to uh, decrease, and then you model that out, and you right. see what happens. And this is what happens, mm -hmm. right? So, like, unless demand spikes all the way down, this is kind of going to be what what happens, guys. Like, mm -hmm. I I don't know. I mean. Uh, I guess we'll have to see. Nothing is certain, but uh, it does feel very underpriced to me. But David, let's let's go back back down memory lane. We were talking about previous markets and and previous runs. Uh, BirdieNomNom.eth put together like apparently this person has been taking a screenshot of CoinMarketCap.com for the past like five or six years and putting them together. And what's super interesting here is November 2016. Look at look at the market oh caps gosh, here. That's crazy. Okay, so, uh, let me read some of this out. Bitcoin, twelve billion dollars in market cap. <laughs> only twelve billion dollars. What is it now? It's well over a trillion, right? Yeah, it's well over a trillion. Yeah, uh, an individual Bitcoin clocking in at seven hundred and forty-seven dollars. Ether, nine dollars and fifty-three cents. Imagine. This is Could you imagine? What were you doing in 2016 at this time? <laughs> uh, working in social services. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. This is like, and then, okay, Ripple clocking in at number three, and then Below Litecoin, a penny, yeah. mm -hmm. Monero, Ethereum Classic, Dash, Augur, NEM, MadeSafeCoin. Okay, which ones are still left standing? I guess Litecoin. Is Litecoin even in the top 10? It's not in the well, top 10. No, I think it's in we'll the top get to 30 that. now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We had a crazy year in 2017. Look at the, the, the market cap increase. Yep. Uh, 124 billion dollars for Bitcoin, Ethereum number two, and then Bitcoin Cash number three. Yeah, we still have Ripple there, still mm -hmm. Litecoin. St do you remember Dash? I do, remember do you remember Dash, IOTA? Yeah. I do in remember the 2017 yeah. bull run. Yeah. Monero's still there. Neo, Nem, like what are these things? Do they even exist anymore? Relegated was Neo to like history. Neo was like the um, the Ethereum of China. Yeah, Wasn't that, that, that was his brand. Yeah, the, the, the Ethereum of China. Like forgetting that like these are based on the internet, not domiciled in countries. <laughs> Do you remember IOTA twenty seventeen? Do you remember totally. um, something called a DAG? DAG, yeah. I I'm, I the the DAG trade Did was one of my DAG? biggest trade. I was I, I made <laughs> I made my first big trade on IOTA, and then I rotated that right into Rayblocks, and that, those were my two big wins of twenty seventeen. I remember Rayblocks. Ray wow, Blocks, that is yeah. that is memory now, now branded um, as Nano. Yeah, mm -hmm. DAG was the interesting privacy coin at the time. Right. Mm -hmm. It was masternodes and privacy coins, mm -hmm. and that was like the future. Um, none of those things are, are now a big deal. But here's uh, 2018, very sad. Yeah. You know, 2018 was in the depths here. Look at 2018 chart. It's Bitcoin first, mm -hmm. not Ethereum second. Yeah. Ripple number two. Ripple came in second for a brief moment in time, yeah. And in People hindsight, like this. that was like a great bottom signal. <laughs> <laughs> then Stellar. Yeah. Then still Bitcoin Cash, and then EOS. Our friend EOS jumping yep. on the scene. Litecoin, mm -hmm. Tether, Cardano making an appearance. Monero. And we got 2019. Cardano still in the currently in the same state that it was all the way back then. Really? Yeah. Uh, are you talking about from a developer perspective, yeah. David? Yeah. Or are you talking about from a position perspective? No, developer. Like the state of the blockchain hasn't changed since since like 2017 <laughs> or whatever. Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP. This is uh, this is 2019. Here is uh, 2020, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tether, XRP. Finally, some link. changes. Yeah, Chainlink makes it up there. Polkadot makes it up there. But other than that, it's still kind of the same thing. And then here we are. Now, we, here we are just last week. Um, Bitcoin number one, Ethereum number two, Binance coin. Mm -hmm. First time it's making an appearance. Tether's still on there, of course. Solana, mm -hmm. first time at number five making an appearance. Cardano still hanging out there. Yep. XRP goes from number <laughs> number two three years ago. Uh, four years ago, no, three years ago, all the way down to number seven, but still in the top ten. Still crazily in the top ten, yeah. 
Polkadot. And then we have USDC, which makes uh, sense. And then Dogecoin. You know, it's weird to see. It's weird 10. to see Dogecoin in the top ten. Like, why is a meme in the top ten? But then if you look back at all the other years that we just looked back on, it's like, oh, okay. Like, I guess by comparison, like Dogecoin is welcome to be in the top ten. So what are the takeaways from this? Okay, it's so like one of my takeaways is just like um, look at the things that have stayed the same and look at the things that have changed. Mm -hmm. um, the things that have stayed the same are Bitcoin, Ethereum, like decentralization, number, one, number two, right? The most decentralized money protocols still hold the, the number one and number two slots. I feel like under that, it's like it's like Bitcoin, it's churn, Ether, and all the narratives, yep. right? Like all the narrative friends that you bring along with you every mm. single like bull or bust cycle. XRP and is the banking coin. Like uh, Cardano, I don't know what the narrative is, has a partnership with Africa, like stuff like that. I mean, you could make the argument instead of EOS, we have Solana. Mm -hmm. Some people might say that, right? It's like I realize Solana, Solana is different than EOS. It's kind of a different thing, but it's a similar narrative. It feels the right? same niche. Feels the same it's niche. It's a similar narrative. Uh, Cardano is still there. It's just just hanging on by the pure willpower of uh, Charles Hoskinson, I guess. <laughs> uh, Polkadot, another kind of ETH killer. But like we've seen many of these narratives play out in previous cycles. Just the uh, the players tend to change. Yep. But the things that that stay the same are like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, any other lessons from this for us? Uh, I'm looking forward to what this looks like in 2022. Yeah, uh, that's the that's the one that's hardest to predict, of course. Uh, MetaMask doing big things. They uh, just hit 21 million, I believe, monthly active users. Or 21 million, sorry, MetaMask users total, which mm -hmm. is absolutely insane. And that that is monthly active users. Mm -hmm. uh, so congrats to MetaMask for that. And the 21, as in 21 million Bitcoins, they, they kind of just made a show out of the 21 million number. Ah, that's, that's why. That's why it's 21. 21. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. that makes sense. What's this, David? This is Hayden Adams talking about a new pool. Yeah, so this is pretty cool. Uniswap V3 uh, launched with three fee tiers, 1%, 0.3%, and 0.1%, I think. And then Uniswap Governance actually added in a fourth fee tier of 0.01%, which is specifically meant for the most stablest of stable coins, right? Uh, and so the 0.01% USDC to USDT pool is currently doing $100 million in volume on only $15 million worth of stablecoin lockup, which is absolutely wow. crazy. Just the capital efficiency there is absolutely insane. Uh, and th this is, this is um, in my mind, stablecoins, the fees for stablecoin swaps just being collapsed to zero. It is basically going to be free to swap stablecoins. 0.01% uh, is basically nothing. Uh, and it's gone from, I think if you scroll down, Ryan, and I think this was a quote tweet, uh, maybe it wasn't. Uh, this went from the, the stable coin trading pairs on one inch, which is a DEX aggregator. It went from like, I think 10% Uniswap dominated volume. And then probably the other, the other dominant volume was curve. And I think it went up to something like 95% Uniswap volume. So like this after this move, after, 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 V3? after the adoption of this 0.01% fee tier wow. stablecoin pool. So great. Uniswap starting to start, starting to like corner the stablecoin swapping market. What's interesting here though, is like, does this worry you if you're a uni holder, right? Cause that's less fees that you can potentially, uh, extract through, through your governance token. Right. Um, it's like it's well, collapsing more, the it's margins more volume. the down to zero. It's way more volume. So yes, it's it's one-tenth the fees, but I, I think it's roughly 10 times the volume. Interesting. So you mm -hmm. kind of the argument is you make it up in volume yep. there. And I guess the, the big thing here is like how can other exchanges, maybe more centralized exchanges, compete 
with mm-hmm. those kind of margins, right? Totally. Uniswap can do that because it's a protocol. That's exactly right. Guys, we are going to be right back with some of the hot releases for the week. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Matcha, everyone's favorite DEX aggregator, has just launched an open beta for gasless trading. So if you're trading more than $5,000 in common ETH and wrapped Bitcoin pairs, then your gas fees on Matcha are free. And that's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and gives you the best possible price without any trading fees or unnecessary slippage. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your orders across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that that it gets you better pricing. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single and easy to use platform and has even saved me multiple times from accidentally picking the wrong decks to trade on and getting a bad price. Matcha also allows you to make limit orders on chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. So when you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless, connect your wallet, and start getting some of the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Alchemix is one of the coolest new DeFi apps on the scene. It introduces self-paying loans, allowing you to spend and save at the same time. Deposit the DAI stablecoin into the Alchemix vault in order to get an advance on the interest it generates. Borrow up to 50% of the total amount of your deposited DAI in the form of AL-USD stablecoin. Here's the craziest part. The loan pays itself back and you cannot be liquidated. Unlock your assets potential in the ultimate DeFi savings account. And brand new to Alchemix is the ETH vault where you can deposit ETH into the application, borrow AL-ETH against your deposits while having your advance gradually paid back over time. V2 is rapidly approaching, which will allow for even more collateral types, plus a variety of yield strategies to choose from. Harness the power of Alchemix at alchemix.fi. That's A-L-C-H-E-M-I-X dot F-I. Follow Alchemix on Twitter at alchemixfi and join the Discord to keep up to date with Alchemix V2 and to get involved in governance. All right, guys, we are back with the releases of the week. The first is this Polygon continuing to add solutions to its network. It just added Polygon Midden. Midden is a Stark-based EVM-compatible rollup. It's really cool. So you might have heard the term ZK rollup. That's effectively what this is, and it's general purpose, so it's EVM-compatible. Polygon is adding that to its its arsenal. It's like toolkit of uh, different solutions along with, we've talked about Polygon uh, Nightfall, of course, it has this proof of stake chain right now. Uh, Hermes is another ZK type of solution. And it's just added this. Maiden apparently is like open source as well. So um, it's from a former Facebook ZK researcher who led the development of, uh, of Winterfell, which is a Facebook project. Uh, and what's cool about this, David, is I feel like Polygon has long committed to being more than like just side chain technology. And now it's it, and moving into kind of a roll-up uh, sort of design. And now it's definitively moving in that direction in big ways. Uh, love to see this. Yeah, Polygon proving to just be an absolute gargantuan in this space, kind of gobbling up every single, uh, you know, scaling startup that that they, they can buy. Um, so just absolutely crushing it on the BD front. Yeah, and uh, we'll have to find out a bit more about this, uh, this Maiden solution compared to like, um, you know, the Matter Labs, CK Sync, and also what Starkware is co- cooking up. Because as of now, I don't really know the similarities or differences, but that's going to be content that you're going to find on Bankless in the future for sure. 
Uh, Vitalik Buterin said good things about it as well, which is nice to see. Uh, David, Argent, smart contract browser, or smart contract wallet, I should say. Looks like they are investing in ZK rollups as well. What's the, what's uh, happening here? Yeah, we talked about this, I think, last week or the week before, but Argent working on a, uh, a their own their own version of the, or their smart contract wallet, but putting it on uh, the StarkNet, the ZK Sync, uh, which I think is just like the, the right place to put Argent. Interestingly, in this tweet, Argent says, coming to a browser near you very soon, which is different because they're historically only in a, a mobile app. So having a browser-based Argent is interesting. That makes actually a ton of sense because, I mean, I do all of my DeFi stuff on a browser. I don't know about you. Uh, doing it on a phone sounds really, really cumbersome. Uh, so cool. Excited to see this coming out of Argent. Yeah, absolutely. They've been, they've been, Argent's been kind of quiet, quietly mm-hmm. building for a while. So I'm excited for the next release from them. I think it's going to be big. Um, MetaMask and Ledger are working together seamlessly again. Hooray. That is good news Hooray. on on Chrome in particular, I believe. So what do you have to do? Update MetaMask to the latest version, update your Ledger firmware, which is kind of a pain, but you have to do that from time to time anyway. And what do you get in return? A smoother signing flow. So right now, like Ledger and MetaMask is pretty clunky yeah. if you're using Chrome. Yep. Chrome. Uh, and not only did they announce this fix, which is great for that problem, um, but they also announced a partnership between MetaMask and Ledger so that they're going to be cooperating more and collaborating more to make sure this sort of thing doesn't happen again and that they continue to improve the, the user experience because it's just kind of like you're using both, right? You're not just using one or the other. You can't just use Ledger right. to do all your DeFi stuff. And you don't necessarily just want to use MetaMask. You need both. So it makes a lot of sense that these two companies are talking to, to figure out how to make it work more seamlessly. Yep, I agree. Happy to see it. What's this, David? Another wallet. Yeah, Brave Wallet, a browser-native crypto wallet with no extension required. So on the other side of things, Brave is building out basically their own version of MetaMask. Brave is, for those that don't know, a privacy-focused browser. very, very part, big part of the, the crypto story, I think, because it's kind of using crypto ethos, but not in a way that is cryptocurrency, right? It's just a Brave browser. They do have the BAT token integrated for ad payments, but um, kind of like a self-sovereign browser. Uh, and now they have their own native uh, Brave wallet inside of the Brave app. Uh, so Brave, in addition to having this like privacy-first, user-first browser, uh, are also putting you know DeFi and crypto native infrastructure right into the browser itself. Better wallet options are like one of the biggest user experience um, things that we can mm-hmm. do for crypto at this point in time. So it's great to see more uh, more entrance in the space. David, a really cool report just came out. Why don't you talk about this for a minute? Yeah, this is the Bitwise DeFi report. Uh, and so they Bitwise, uh, again, the uh, the company that is funneling what I just call boomer, funneling boomer money into our DeFi assets. They are uh, set up a bunch of trusts. They have their DeFi index, their ETH index, Polygon index uh, for people that, for, that want to gain access to crypto exposure, but want to do it from the comfort of their own brokerage. They released a decentralized finance, a primer for professional investors. So this is, uh, I've read this, it's about nine pages long, perfect length, not too short, not too long. Uh, and uh, just really is a very hard hitting analysis about DeFi. And so if you have a friend, a family member who wears a tie, 
this is <laughs> this is the report to send them. This is the report you send to people who wear ties. Serious uh, and, people who yes, wear ties. Ser- very serious, who take their jobs very, very seriously, and they, they, they put on a suit and tie every single day when they go to work and talk about money and finance. If, that, if you know somebody like that, this is the report to send to them because this is the language that they speak. This is in a format that they're comfortable with. Uh, this isn't some guy in a Spider-Man t-shirt on a YouTube yeah. shirt telling you about DeFi. This is people that can speak the same language. So this is a fantastic report for, your, for yourself. Read it yourself. Uh, because they they just unpack DeFi very very well and then send it to your friends and family, especially when it comes to uh, Thanksgiving dinner time. Yeah, so start here. They'll, they'll make their way to Bankless eventually, but like <laughs> it's a, it's a weaning process. All right, it gets it, it gets it takes some time to get used to the Spider Man costumes and the hoodies. Uh, let's talk about this too. Uh, the rug just came out with a a new edition. What is the rug, David? Yeah, in stark contrast to what we were just talking about, we were a professional V <laughs> five report. The rug is a product out of Bankless DAO. So think of the Onion plus DeFi, the onion plus crypto. Uh, so some of these headlines in here are just absolutely hilarious. I'll read some of these out. Uh, the Museum of Modern Art announces closure following total loss in a right-click save as attack. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, on, on the left, there are a couple quick headlines. US regulators drop lawsuit after Celsius changes its name to Fahrenheit. Um, top 10 seed phrases of all time. Uh, it's just a, it's a nice, I think this is going to come out weekly. I think, I don't know how, how often they plan on doing this, but basically just like a, a fake, fake newspaper that is just a bunch of satirical headlines and, you know, bankless doubt, putting, putting the funny into crypto, which is very, what very I, needed. What I think is cool. In addition to this content is they're actually like selling these. So like there's 69 copies of mm-hmm. these things, uh, the, nice. the, the first edition. Yeah. And, uh, th- they all sold out. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like your traditional newspaper and it's only like the, the homepage so you're buying it as kind of a, a right. memento, um, as a, a collectible, but it's, it's kind of cool that people are, uh, are into this idea and, uh, are, are funding it by purchasing these subscriptions. So I think the next one might come out in December, David, this mm. is right. Like it looks like November, 2021. Oh, these, these monthly fantastic. No, I'm, we'll I'm looking have forward to, to all of these. Yeah. So if you, yeah. if you, I think there's a Twitter account. Yeah, there's a Twitter account. So the rug news, you can go follow the rug news on Twitter. And if you just think of like your shower thoughts, having a shower, think of a funny headline, just tweet it at the rug. Submit it. Yeah. Maybe like all it takes is you to have a funny idea, a funny satirical idea. You just need a headline. Right. And so, uh, just tweet <laughs> at the rug news on Twitter. That's awesome. Uh, Let's get to raises, David. The big one of the week. Consensus just closed $200 million. They're raising at a $3.2 billion valuation. Consensus, of course, uh, a startup from Joe Lubin's, no longer startups, large company, creators of MetaMask, many other things in the Ethereum ecosystem. Uh, and this is a pretty big raise for them. So uh, yeah, congrats on that. Any any comments here? Yeah, consensus. Uh, very famously, uh, we kind of joke about this in, with the with the Ethereum people, but like consensus was kind of like the cause of the Ether bear market because they kept having having to dump all this Ether to pay for <laughs> payroll. Uh, and so there were there were dark times at consensus. There were people getting laid off and cut all the time. And now, and consensus made it through the winter, uh, and they're now raising two hundred million dollars at a three point two billion dollar valuation. So, congrats to Joe Lubin and everyone that made it through. Uh, that was a rough gamut. The, the bear market was not friendly. Um, and but uh, again, like turn, figured out how to turn a profit, uh, not just with MetaMask, but with a number of other products as well. So, extremely well deserved. Glad you guys made it through. It's funny. It's not too long ago either. That was like two years ago when yeah. all of that stuff was going on. Now mm-hmm. here we are with a $200 million raise. Right. Um, 
Going from, is, from dumping like $50 million of Ether at like $200 down to raising yeah. $200 million at a 3.2 <laughs> yeah. valuation in two years. That's yeah. pretty crazy. At 24 months. This is another, uh, I think, exciting headline that you wouldn't have seen back then, but it's commonplace now. Paradigm is raising uh, another fund, a $2.5 billion fund. I think this is the biggest crypto fund to date. It's a crypto Web3 fund. And Paradigm, of course, is an investment group that uh, we think a lot of. Uh, and you know Matt Huang is uh, announcing this raise. Any comments on this? Yeah, Paradigm is it's it's a very special fund, I would say, because they they aren't just a typical fund that you know, invests in startups. They also have very deep involvement with the startups that, that that they fund. Like Paradigm basically wrote Uniswap V3, from what I've heard through through the rumor mill. Uh, and the, 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 some of the people in there, we've had Dan Robinson on the podcast. They've got Hazu. They've got Sam Sun. They've, they've got Georgios. They've got Anash. They have so many just like- They have very, builders. They have huge builders, right? And so yeah. like not only are the partners and the, the people that work at Paradigm good at their jobs of like figuring out where to invest in, but they, they also build their own stuff. And so it's this very hands-on fund. It's, it's, I don't think we've seen a fund like this ever before in history. And so congratulations. Every, everyone in the Ethereum world really, really likes Paradigm. That's a lot of money too. It's a lot, a lot of money. money. It's, it's a, a lot, lot of cash money. to deploy. It's a lot of right? money. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, what do you do with all that money at this point in time? This mm. is no wonder we're seeing like uh, private valuations for many of these startups, like just go through the, through the roof, um, these days, uh, Starkware as well. Talk about raises that are through the roof, double unicorn. Now they're valued at $2 billion. This is of course the Ethereum ZK, uh, layer two solution. They just raised 50 million more dollars uh it's quite a valuation but wow they've got quite a product right now right so like they do diversify they do dydx this is the technology behind immutable if we're right about this modular blockchain thesis Mm -hmm. then this technology will be core to scaling out ethereum into the into the future so excited about that raise and congrats to them actually they'll be coming on the podcast on tuesday so david we'll have to talk to them about this raise and learn a little bit more about their their product roadmap. But they are launching a really exciting new version of StarkNet, I believe it's called, mm-hmm. which is uh, an EVM compatible um, ZK rollup chain, which is like, I thought this thing would be coming out a year from now. Right. And it looks like we are we are pretty close right now. So um, it's really cool to see this raise. What, yeah. what are your takes? Nothing too much other than that, but really excited to unpack a lot of subjects with them on Tuesday. Uh, what's Gallery, Dave? This is another raise for the week. Yeah, so for those that watched our DC Investor uh, NFT portfolio episode a while ago, uh, when we were sharing screen and going through DC's Investor, we were using Gallery. Uh, and so Gallery is a, a startup that is focusing on making an online gallery for all of your NFTs. Uh, they are just they just raised $2.69 million. <laughs> nice uh, and well-deserved. I actually met, met some of the founders at uh, NFT NYC, really nice guys. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually still working up on setting up my own gallery. I just have to figure out how to get these goddamn Fidenza rocks out of my <laughs> <laughs> NFT wallet. Uh, uh, but yeah, congratulations to them. If you are looking for something to display your NFTs, a web page, uh, check out Gallery. Uh, use Gallery on Twitter. Yeah, um, I think you can filter those out, David, with Gallery. I know, I, I did. You don't have I, to display I just, those. I made a joke, Ryan. Give me, let me have it. I was going to say, like, okay, send those to Anthony Sassata or something. <laughs> just, like, just bomb his wallet with those Fidenza rocks <laughs> and then publicly shame him, okay? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> 
Uh, jobs time. Jobs. All right, this is the part of the episode where we tell you to get a job in crypto if you where, haven't already done so. Where we Most bully, exciting bully job you, you about get. your Web 2 job until, <laughs> until you get a Web 3 job, yeah. Mm-hmm. If it's not a crypto job, David, it's a Web 2 job? Is yes, that that's the, exactly right. Yeah. That's the binary? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Old world job. Okay, don't you want your crypto renaissance job? These are the jobs of the week. Community ecosystem lead at DYDX. That's a DYDX foundation with that hire. Bitwise, we are just talking about those guys. Mm-hmm. They're doing a crypto research analyst, an NFT specialist role. They also need a smart contracts platform and Web3 analyst. Those seem like dream jobs to me. A governance specialist as well at Bitwise. A head of growth at DexGuru. A technical lead at Draftly. An accountant at Smart DeFi. Also a product manager. Head of Ethereum research at Immutable. Head of tokens. Community manager at Dexable. Lead engineer at Hats.Finance. That community manager role looks like it's still up from eAgronom. A CTO from eAgronom as well. Senior backend engineer, Smart DeFi, blockchain, technical CTO as well for Merit. Community manager, Aragon. Founding blockchain engineer at Highlight. And I think I'm at the end, David, but it's not the end of this list. There are so many more jobs. There are so many more jobs. We are just reading off the top ones. There's actually, I think, like 10 new jobs from Gauntlet. I think if you scroll down, Gauntlet is uh, Tarun. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Tarun's uh, uh, company, very big brain person to work for. Uh, And so, like, data engineer, engineering manager. Go check out bankless.palette.xyz slash jobs. There's a link in the show notes. Go find yourself a job. We've literally curated a fantastic selection of jobs for you. Go find one. Just go pick one. Yeah, and then go sign up. So. Somebody can mail you this. Team lead at the Ethereum Foundation. Like, come on. That's got to be one of the most prestigious jobs of all time. David's about to quit his bankless job. And go that. <laughs> He's preparing his resume as we speak. Uh, all right, David, you want to talk news items? Let's talk about this one. The first is Constitution Dow. Okay, what's this story? What's going on here? Uh, apparently, a DAO is buying the Constitution, and this is just—I think we're going <laughs> to see. You can buy the Constitution. I didn't, I didn't know that you could buy the Constitution. I did not know that it was for sale. Uh, turns out there's like eleven of them. There's like eleven copies of the Constitution, and there's only one privately owned one, and that one is going up for auction on Sotheby's. Uh, and so a DAO was spun up to try to do exactly what Pleaser DAO did with the Uniswap uh, animation. Uh, the DAO was spun up to funnel a bunch of money into the DAO so they could buy the Constitution. Uh, and I think the Constitution was something like $20 million, and the Constitution DAO has already raised, I think, like $40 million, or at, at least 30 last I checked. Over $40 million, yeah. Uh, so well over the amount of money that they need to buy the Constitution DAO, which, by the way, is the same thing that happened to Pleaser DAO. Like, they raised much more money than they needed to buy the Uniswap GIF, this Uniswap animation, and that extra money is what turned it into, like, a system that actually kept on going and going and going. Uh, and so this has drummed up a ton of excitement, a ton of hype. There's already something like ten, over 10,000 people in the Discord. Uh, and so this has just gotten a ton of attention. And, and uh, it's it's got a fantastic meme behind it because it kind of feels like um, we're going to steal the Declaration of Independence, right? It's kind of like national a, little, treasure yeah, style. a little national treasure. Nicholas like Cage. We're going to buy the Constitution. Uh, <laughs> so there's definitely some meme meminess going on. And overall, I think it's just kind of a, a fun story. Like, yo, look what crypto can do. It can buy the goddamn Constitution. Like, in seven days. In seven days. Like, what? What can? What can your non-crypto thingy thingy that you care about do? Not that. And what's cool about this too, right? It's, so it's the story of a raise very quickly, and the collaborative power of the internet plus a capital pool plus a DAO plus finance, right? But it's also a story of like giving the constitution back to the people, mm-hmm. right? Because what is a DAO? Well, it's open. It's permissionless. Anyone can contribute. If you wanted in on this, you could contribute like fifty dollars. 
$100, and you would literally own a portion of the Constitution. That is governance rights for the Constitution. What are they doing with this document? I believe they plan to like put it in a museum somewhere on display, um, but governance gets to vote on what they do with this document as well. So it's really powerful from that perspective. I think there's a powerful symbolism here too, right? Like what's the meme power of the, the people's document that you know, like the, dis, the original decentralized governance protocol for a nation state. I think that has some meme power here too. I wasn't sure whether they were going to make it though, David. So I did this, uh, uh, I, you know, uh, put a little money towards this on like Monday. Uh, and at the time it was just like, there was $2 million, something yeah. like this. And they thought they needed at least 20 million for this bid. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And I kept checking back on Wednesday. It was like, they were like 5 million. And then like, and then suddenly boom, last minute things shot up. It's over 40 million. The auction actually happens, uh, at the time of recording, we're recording this on a Thursday at 6 30 this evening. So by the time this comes out to you, the auction will have already happened and fingers crossed constitution Dow has enough capital to actually buy this thing. So they haven't for sure received it at, at the time of recording, but they certainly have enough money to make um, probably the most enticing bid that's out there. And that's why this story is super cool. Yeah, and there's, a, again, lessons to be pulled from the Pleaser Dow story, where as soon as the bidder that Pleaser Dow was uh, in a bidding war against realized that they were going up against a Dow that kind of, in theory, had unlimited cash flows because more and more cash kept on going into the Dow to purchase the thing, then the the, the person that Pleaser Dow was in a bidding war just capitulated. It's like, actually, I don't know how much is on the other <laughs> yeah. side of the thing, right? I'm done. I can't go uh, against I, yeah. the entire internet. Right. That's exactly right. And so, like, whoever's going up against, uh, like, they know whoever wants to buy this thing, they know they have to at least put up $40 million that's because that's how much the Constitution Dow has. So like they, the Constitution Dow might have just scared off bidders by, by the very nature of its own existence, right? Which is kind of cool. Yeah. On the other hand, I suppose um, the, uh, the, bid, the, the person who's conducting the bid knows exactly how deep the pockets mm, of the Constitution also, Dow are. That's also true. Because it's public and transparent. So that right. is maybe a downside of this method. Right. But... They, could, they could bid it right up to like $39 million. And then, yep. and yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, this <laughs> early is going to be funny days, story. Though, right? yeah. It's uh -huh. early days. But the fact that this is possible is kind of cool. And like to your point, I had no idea that there were like, you said 11, there's between 11 and 13 copies of the Constitution. Mm. Apparently, most of them are museums, but there's like this one that is still private. Somebody bought it in the 1980s and is now selling it on uh, Sotheby's uh, auction. So uh, kind of cool, neat piece of history, I think, and we'll see what happens. Uh, hopefully, good news for the Constitution Dow coming later this evening. By the time you listen to this, you'll have to look up to see if they actually got the Constitution or not. And hopefully um, this ends up as just like a nice PR story about crypto where people yeah. will hear about this on the news and be like, oh, a bunch of people bought the Constitution? That's kind of weird. And like, weird. Maybe, maybe they'll start to like make, connect some dots about what crypto can do. Absolutely. I think that's what it is uh, for sure. Let's talk about this. Uh, speaking of connecting dots or connecting communities here, maybe there is a governance proposal put in place from the, uh, the Fae community, which has the tribe token and the Rari community to merge those two tokens, those two communities together, a tribe and a Rari merger or a Fae and Rari merger. I guess it makes a Ferrari is the meme here, David. Nice. Uh, what's happening here? 
Yeah, so this is, I think, a first of its kind where two tokens are going to be collapsed into one token and two very different products are going to start to build more intimately with each other. Um, Rari is like a superset of compound where you can make your own borrowing and lending markets. Fay is a stable coin. Uh, and apparently these actually are really, really complementary. I'm a little bit fuzzy on the details of how that works, but um, it's because I'm not terribly intimately knowledgeable about either, both of these things. Um, but uh, it, uh, when it comes to different protocols, having significantly overlapping surface area where you know this complementary, this is the same pattern that we know with normal mergers. This is why companies merge in the first place. Now it's just happening with tokens. Uh, so this is very much uncharted territory. So an interesting experiment. We're gonna have to see how this plays out. And, and we should say, uh, this hasn't happened yet, and it may not happen, right? Mm -hmm. So the next step here is this is really just a governance proposal, uh, and it's up to the community, the the um, Rari voters, and I would imagine the Fay voters, to actually uh, thumbs up or thumbs down this. And there has been some pushback. Um, in This was posted in Rari governance forums from the Rari community saying, hey, I don't know if this is a good deal for Rari. Uh, I don't know if it makes sense, uh, you know, at this uh, this market price to be kind of merging with Tribe. There are different holders, like the the Fae protocol came with a bunch of VCs, and the the Rari uh, token has been primarily fair launch. So it's still TBD on whether this is actually going to happen. But it's an interesting story nonetheless. The idea of two protocols merging together and creating potentially something bigger is something that uh, we haven't really seen in DeFi and I expect we'll see more of. This is another thing, David, I expect we'll see more of. More big brands minting nfts what's what's happening with adidas here so this is this pop-up is titled adidas original our future started here so november 17th which is yesterday there's a pop-up for apparently a virtual online meeting that adidas issued uh so cool uh, uh unexpected um but let's see what where this goes why yeah, the hell not look, look look for these opportunities attend these events i guess is a message and interesting to see brands getting into poaps yeah. which is kind of a W was once a very obscure part of the the Ethereum ecosystem and is now going mainstream, oddly enough. Yeah, um, congratulations, Patricio. Yeah. Uh, Huobi is now Wo allowing... Huobi? Huobi. Huobi. Did I say Huobi? Huobi. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say. Partnering with ZK Sync, this is the team behind Matter Labs, to provide a faster and cheaper blockchain experience. What does this mean, David? Does this mean they are going to... Um, are they going to provide? Is this to do with their exchange on, or is this something on an off ramps? Yeah, so on an off ramps. Yeah, with withdrawals of your crypto assets onto zk sync directly from Huobi. Uh, so Huobi has a strategic partnership. I think they invested in um, in Matter Labs zk sync, uh, and so they are. And now, obviously, because of that incentive alignment, they are allowing for withdrawals right onto that layer two, which is the future we want. Exchanges should be allowing users where they want to be dropped off on. Like, do you want to be dropped off on Optimism? Do you want to be dropped off on Arbitrum? Do you want to be dropped off on ZK Sync? Where do you want to go? Because the Ethereum L1 is not going to be, a, it's already not a friendly place for humans. It's only going to get even more hostile for humans. You don't yeah. want to start there. That's, that's starting in just like the level 99 areas of the, the metaverse, right? You want to start mm -hmm. on like tutorials where, where there's low gas fees uh, and instantaneous transactions. And so uh, this is the future. All exchanges are eventually going to allow people to offload themselves onto layer twos. Uh, and this is just one part of that story. I guess there's two two pieces here, right? One is like uh, from our conversation with Coinbase, like Coinbase is going in that direction too. Like Brian Armstrong said, 
we've got some stuff in the pipeline, so I expect Coinbase to make yeah. some announcements uh, here soon about this. This is really the bridge that most users will will enter uh, crypto using. It'll be direct from exchange fiat directly to a rollup rather than to the Ethereum mainnet. The other point here I think is interesting is like you know Ethereum can't. It's a protocol, right? So it can't really. It doesn't do its own business development. It's like the internet. There's no like we're the marketing team for TCPIP. Please build on uh, our protocol, right? There's nothing. There's not. I know there's the Ethereum Foundation, but they don't really put partnerships in place. They're not doing like business development. They're they're there for like education to support the research. These roll-up teams are really the business development function of Ethereum. I got this from your your conversation with Robbie from Immutable, right? Like, how many game studios is and social networks is uh, Immutable talking to now? And they are really doing the the marketing business development job to start onboarding the large exchanges and large companies to crypto. So it's really cool to see that function start to to take place. And uh, it's necessary if we're going to onboard the rest of the world to establish these partnerships and have some good business development. Hundred percent. All right. What's this next one, David? This yeah, is, uh, this is from a- Anthony. Yeah, last week, the uh, Optimism EVM equivalent version of Optimism went live. And now you can see in the Optimism Discord, a bunch of notifications for different projects finally getting whitelisted to Optimism. So this is Optimism opening up the gates for projects to get whitelisted. We see Gnosis, uh, no, Gnosis, Gnosis, <laughs> Curve, Connext, Synapse Protocol, UMA, D-Hedge, uh, OptiPunks, Poly Network, uh, BitBTC, Flux Protocol. Just whitelisting after whitelisting after whitelisting. So optimism really becoming more and more aggressive with onboarding more and more uh, teams. Uh, and I, I couldn't be more excited for it. The theme park is opening now. Mm-hmm. The rides are invited in and there's going to be more operational. That's what that means. Uh, what about this, David? There's some NFT stuff going on in Jimmy Fallon. Uh, is this Beeple on Jimmy Fallon? That's Beeple on Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, where also Jimmy Fallon also announced that he bought a board ape. Uh, so this is again how NFTs just going and taking Ethereum into the mainstream more than DeFi ever could have. Uh, and so now we have Beeple, who's uh, you know the the richest uh, artist of all time, I think at least in terms of sales. Uh, now on Jimmy Fallon, and Jimmy Fallon's talking about how he bought a board ape. This is so interesting because like DeFi could never do this, uh-huh. right? Nobody right. wants to hear some finance person talking right. about like tokenized derivatives on the Jimmy Fallon show, right. but they are happy to listen to an artist like people talking about NFTs. Could you imagine just like one of us being on Jimmy Fallon talking about, okay, so Uniswap opened up a 0.01% exchange <laughs> pool and it's doing a ton of volume. <laughs> Nerd alert. <laughs> Change the channel. Sorry. Yeah, it wouldn't happen, right? This is why NFTs have massively expanded the surface area of uh, of Ethereum into the into the culture. Uh, is this Jimmy Fallon? This is there's, his board, there's ape, right his board here. ape. Yeah, heart glasses, sailor cap, sailor shirt. Yeah, is this good. a good and, one? I don't know yeah, enough. I have to no say clue. This. I, I'm not. I'm not an ape person myself. I actually here, heard here. an interesting take about apes uh, last night, where apes are very, very pop culture versus crypto punks, which are very, very crypto culture. And so I think if you see see that line, like uh, the chain smokers, they are a board ape person. Jimmy Fallon, board ape person, a few others, but then. Uh, granted, there's some other things like uh, Jay Z. He has a crypto punk, right? Um, and a few other rappers have crypto punk. But it's interesting to see the dividing line between like the ape culture and the punk culture. Yeah, that is different. Like uh, different groups kind of uh, jumping in, right? So this is more like the celeb, the NFT for celebrities, mm-hmm. would you say? Mm-hmm. Is whereas maybe crypto punks are like NFTs for the OGs. Anyone who wants to project that OG status. Yeah, but there's definitely a ton of celebrities with CryptoPunks too, right? Steve Aoki, in addition yeah. to Jay-Z, a few other ones. Um, 
different I'm feel though. The two communities very, have a different very different feel. feel. Huge huh. different feel. Yeah, uh, and I'm very much legitimizing uh, board apes by putting them into the same conversation as crypto punks, which they have no <laughs> no deserved wow. belonging to be in it's the same conversation. Maximum. So, so Let, you're you're all welcome if you own a board ape for me even talking about apes in the same same breath. Wow, as that is some punk maximalism right here. <laughs> uh, have you know bankless listeners? I am the neutral party here. Okay, so like no ape, no crypto uh, punk. Right? I believe you I mean just, the like, turtle party. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we're slow to everything guys but you know we get there eventually all right let's talk about this so this was big news the other week is uh, quentin tarantino was auctioning off a series of pulp fiction nfts well apparently he didn't have the legal rights to do that at least that's what miramax is saying that's the company that produced and distributed pulp fiction uh, i guess you have to remember right with some of these these physical nfts you can't nft unless you own the ip can you <laughs> You can't just right-click save a movie and then NFT it, oh, even okay. if you're the director, right? It, it doesn't work uh, like that in Meet Space. Okay, right? Yeah. So again, uh, really, all NFTs are RIP. They're instantiated forms of IP. So if the asset that the end token represents grows in IP value, well, that that value goes to the to the token, right? And so, uh, according to this, uh, you know, headline, I don't know the details behind the true behind the scene details between Miramax and Quentin Tarantino, but it sounds like Quentin Tarantino. Issued an NFT about something that he didn't actually own, uh, and so this is this is going to be one of many stories. I think there's going to be a lot of stories like this where there's IP battles over NFT. Who has the rights to issue the NFT? I feel like there's something interesting here, right? Because like stuff on Ethereum, like at least the most uh, you know crypto native, digitally native stuff, doesn't really have a corollary in in meat space world, right? right. It's like where where punks were born on Ethereum. They they don't have a legal tie into meat space. You could build that in some way, but they're kind of native to Ethereum. Whereas something like Pulp Fiction, that exists in meat space and has you know contracts and kind of legal guarantees around it. And you, you actually have to port that into Ethereum. And in order to port that, you, you need those legal guarantees. There's something interesting here about like, I guess how crypto native an NFT asset is in the same way that you know Ether is more crypto native than something like USDC, which is actually mm-hmm. like, a tokenized representation of some money that Coinbase has in a real-world bank account somewhere. Yeah, there, there's a very we could take this uh, conversation and just extrapolate it all the way out. There's a very clear definition with we have transparent blockchains where we know who owns what, and so once an NFT exists, it becomes extremely concrete and uh, just clear who actually owns the damn thing which ethereum address is the nft actually in before it's an nft then it's in the meat space world where you actually get settled by courts if there's a dispute it's not like okay if there's a dispute as to who owns what who owns what on ethereum you just open up etherscan and see who owns it in the legal world you got to take people to court which is costly it costs like lawyer money it costs like uh, you know, public infrastructure for courts money uh, and then the even more just like then we have to get into the conversation of like well the only reason why the courts actually work is because there's a military behind them to actually enforce them. Where, where on Ethereum, there's just proof of work or proof of stake. Uh, and so I think there's we're in this like valley, but this period of time where all of the existing IP on the of the world hasn't been NFT'd yet. And so there's going to be a bunch of court battles as to who gets the rights to issue the NFT. But new IP that's coming out in the space world maybe actually starts on day one with NFTs. And that becomes very, very clear because they're able to issue that NFTs before there's any sort of just like, you know, cloudiness as to who owns what. 
Uh, so maybe that's how the story plays out. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really interesting take. And I, I do think the the new NFTs will be more creative owned than the last yes. one. I mean, you, yes. you might say Quentin Tarantino, why doesn't he have the right to his own work, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was the brain. He was the create, creative force behind this, but Miramac mm-hmm. owns it. Miramax owns it. So mm-hmm. too bad. In this world, creators own the, the NFTs they issue and it kind of works backwards from there. Uh, let's talk about this. Another intersection of the world. What's Time Magazine doing with the metaverse? Yeah, Time and Galaxy Digital, which is Mike Novogratz's um, uh, company, who we're actually recording with tomorrow. So that episode will be out uh, a week from Monday. Uh, partner to de- demystify the next immersive digital frontier, the metaverse, through a first-of-its-kind partnership. So yeah, very interesting partnership uh, between a fund that is crypto-focused uh, and Time Magazine. So Time Magazine really going headfirst into branding itself as a metaverse-focused uh, magazine. I'm sure they're going to keep all their their old businesses, but they're really also building out this metaverse line. And they are partnering with Mike Novogratz and, and Galaxy Digital to build out this metaverse side of Time Magazine. Um, Mike Novogratz also has his own podcast as well, so he's He's in the world of media, uh, but an interesting partnership between a magazine and a crypto fund. This is like a media play, right? So yeah, it's got to be a media is, play. Yeah, this yeah. is time doing some kind of media play for the metaverse. Um, mm. This is uh, also interesting while we're on the subject of NFTs. OpenSea now offered a $10 billion valuation. So that is the valuation level of OpenSea at this point, $10 million. Uh, OpenSea is offering that, not being offered. They are offering a $10 billion valuation. Uh, And so I think they are soliciting this investment. I'm not sure if it's been uh, fulfilled yet. I feel like they'll get it though, David. Probably. This mock market is so hot and frothy, like I would not be surprised. Um, Bitcoin news. Bitcoin just upgraded to Taproot. It's Mm -hmm. this uh, soft fork upgrade. I know this was a, a long time coming, much awaited in the Bitcoin community. What is Taproot, David? Yeah, Taproot changes the way signature schemes work with Bitcoin. I'm not too familiar with this, but basically it allows for more expressive signature schemes uh, and does a couple things. Uh, You talked about how this is like super multi-sigs on Bitcoin. Uh, which can unlock uh, additional privacy features and I think also makes Lightning Network a little bit more uh, easy to spin up. Um, Bitcoiners absolutely love Taproot. They think it's like the, the greatest thing to happen to Bitcoin, I think, in the last year or so. Uh, and so and now, and now it's live on the Bitcoin network. So congratulations to Bitcoin. It's cool to see Bitcoin adding new features, right? Adding new things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what's beyond Taproot. Is there anything else beyond Taproot, though? Uh, I don't think so. Not that I know of. This is feels like the last major update in the pipeline. Um, this it's also not like expressivity. It's not adding a progr- uh, right. programmatic layer to Bitcoin. It's not like you're going to be able to spin up Ethereum style smart contracts on no. Bitcoin now. This is just like super fancy multi sigs that yeah. Bitcoin didn't have before. Yeah, multi-sigs with have like more capacity. Uh, let's read that tweet that's on there. Let's see what that says. Uh, the individuals with somebody on Twitter with uh, laser eyes says, Taproot is a 100 years software merging every contract and use case under a single transact- transaction type pay to Taproot will in the long run yield a more fungible and robust blockchain. Hmm. Um, I don't know really what that means. This is how you do it. This is how you design a blockchain. That's how the tweet concludes. It's very much that that Bitcoin ethos is like, minimum surface area like right. we don't change very yes. much and we keep mm. the uh the underlying blockchain as simple as possible um it's great that they they had that upgrade uh crypto.com they're making some moves what did they just do here 
Crypto.com and Dress the Pot, uh, what is for now formerly known as the Staples Center, uh, this, uh, the iconic home of the Los Angeles Lakers and Clippers, among others since 1999, will have a new nickname beginning on Christmas. Crypto.com Arena is believed to be the largest U.S. venue naming rights deal to date. Cool. So they are buying the naming rights for the Staples Center. So it's the Crypto.com Center instead. Yeah. Yeah. And like that as a deal, that's going to work out for them. Like crypto.com, kind of like a, a banker's products. I'm not the biggest fan, um, but like this is going to, this is just, this is going to work. Like, oh, I don't know what crypto, how do I do like crypto things? There's all Go these crypto, crypto things com. going on. Like, oh, crypto.com. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. And I think it's going to pump the, the, the crypto.com's valuation is probably a brilliant move for them. You, I mean, it's, it's probably already pumped the, the coin price. I'm pretty sure. Begs the question, David, what, um, what stadium should, should Bankless buy? Wells Fargo Center. For? Wells Fargo Central. Where's that? Yep. Where's that? Is that Philadelphia? Uh, I have no clue. Let me find out. Uh, I think Wells there are Fargo's. a few. Uh, yep, Philadelphia. Yep. That's the one? That's the one? Because yep. there's mm-hmm. a number of these things that are named after banks. Really? Yeah, there's like the Chase. There's a Chase one. There's... Um, oh, no, it's got to be Wells Fargo. HSBC. Yeah. yeah. All right. Wells Fargo, the first of many. Bankless is on its Can way we... to renaming. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you remember that old book, Frindle? No. Okay, it was about it was about a, ki- a kid who made up the word Frindle, and he just made up the word Frindle to call it a pen. And eventually, just enough people started using it that it got into the dictionary. He memed it we, into existence. He, he memed it into existence. What if we just got as many people as possible to start calling Wells Fargo Center Bankless Center? <laughs> we just, <laughs> just did make it, it a thing. We didn't. We don't even buy it. We just changed the name of our own accord. <laughs> hey, you know. As crazy as that sounds, I feel like crypto is about to buy the U.S. Constitution. So. <laughs> yeah. Crazier things have happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we just meme that one to existence. So that'll that's, be a, that's a future a future rug article. Bankless <laughs> Bankless Center buys out Wells Fargo. Submit yep. it. Yep. Tweet yep. tweet someone mm-hmm. on that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, let's talk regulation stuff. So infrastructure bill, horrible horrible language for crypto. Some senators are already proposing a bill that would strip that language out and um, <laughs> make it make make it better. Make it less unconstitutional. For, for crypto. I believe this is a bipartisan bill too. So um, I can't remember whose names are on this. It's definitely Senator Lummis uh, mm-hmm. and maybe someone else. But uh, this this feels like really good news. That's We've got some senators on our side. Already after the bill has just been put through and just been signed, we already have some potential action to strip out the problematic language for crypto. What are your yeah. thoughts? That's exactly right. We have heroes like Jerry Brito at Coin Center fighting the fight for us, so we don't have to worry about it too much unless it comes time for us to be called upon, which is not currently that time. But thank you for everyone at Coin Center and all the senators that are actually fighting for this. Yeah, we'll keep you updated on uh, maybe. I'm, I'm sure there'll be some like um, uh, s- some things we can do to contact senators once this mm-hmm. bill gains more steam to actually get this pushed through. Uh, yeah, it is Senator Wyden and Senator yeah. Lummis who are introducing mm-hmm. this amendment to the infrastructure bill. Um, so is Ted, Ted Cruz right. also has a, a separate bill, I believe, but he's getting on board too. It was funny to me. It's like all of these politicians suddenly getting on board, David's mm-hmm. like unexpected allies. Yeah. Yeah. It's unexpected, but it's also like, I mean, it's about time they saw it because we have votes, we have money. Mm-hmm. Come on senators. Right. Motivation. Like, yeah. These are your incentives. So now they're getting incented. Now they're understanding that, you know, Ted Cruz in Texas has talked a lot about, um, being a cryptocurrency friendly state. So I'm not surprised that he's trying to get involved as well. Uh, India, on the other hand, doing something a little bit different. So what's this headline, David? Uh, India banning crypto payments, but also regulating crypto assets. So crypto is 
still cool. You can still purchase and own crypto. You just can't use it as payments, which is an interesting line. <laughs> I believe the way this started is this is a bill in um, uh, in Parliament, Indian Parliament, I believe, that uh, used to be a total ban on crypto. Right. So this is actually a pullback from a total ban, and it's only banning payments. Uh, it's sort super interesting to me. It's like this feels like a little bit like um, we're going to ban... We're, we're going to let you have the internet, but we're going to ban email. Websites right. are okay, sort of thing. It's just like, <laughs> guys, like, do you even understand how this internet thing works? Do you guys right. even understand how this crypto thing works? Like, You can't just ban one use case of it and let the other ones through. Right. Uh, so it, very strange, I think, regulation, but maybe kind mm -hmm. of a win for crypto. I don't know. It's just like, it's just confusion. It's just, it just, again, tells you how much, how little people know about these things. It's like, hey, you can have Facebook, but no pictures. Just no pictures. <laughs> exactly. <You're> like, no. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very funny, right? It's like watching these governments take, uh, like make their different moves. Like China knows exactly what it wants to do with right. crypto. And it's like, totally. get the hell out. That's what it wants to do. And like more democratic, uh, you know, you know, nation states are a little bit conflicted. They're like, we can't tell our people no completely, but we don't exactly want to embrace it. So right. what do we do? This is India's answer to that. And the US is having its own answers to like the what do we do type scenario um, coming in the form of, I think, the SEC and what they're doing. But uh, maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit. All right, guys, we will be right back with the takes of the week, and they are hot. But first, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that's going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. And now it's live and has over 100 projects deployed. Gas fees on Ethereum L1 suck. Too many people want to use Ethereum and it doesn't have enough capacity for all of us. And that's why teams like Arbitrum have been hard at work developing layer two solutions that makes transactions on Ethereum cheap and instant. Arbitrum increases Ethereum's throughput by orders of magnitude at a fraction of the cost of what we are used to paying. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of security and decentralization. This is why people are calling this Ethereum's broadband moment, where we get to add performance onto decentralization and security. If you're a developer and you want to save on gas costs and overall make a better user experience, go to developers.offchainlabs.com to get started building on Arbitrum. And if you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps being built on Arbitrum. Many DeFi applications on the Ethereum L1 are migrating over to layer twos like Arbitrum, and some are even skipping over the layer ones entirely and deploying directly on layer two. There's so many apps coming online to Arbitrum, so go to bridge.arbitrum.io now and start bridging over your ETH or any of the tokens listed and start having the DeFi or NFT experience that you've always wanted. Living a bankless life requires taking control over your own private keys. Not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the bankless nation already have their Ledger hardware wallet, which makes proper private key management a breeze. But the Ledger ecosystem is much more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet and the Ledger Live app. And if you're used to seeing all of your crypto services and favorite DeFi apps all in one spot, Ledger Live is where you want to be. Not only does Ledger let you buy your crypto assets straight from the app, but it also hooks into all of the DeFi apps and services that you're used to. Using Ledger Live, you can stake your ETH in Lido, swap on DEXs like Paraswap, or display your NFTs with Rainbow. You can also use Wallet Connect inside of Ledger Live to connect to all the other DeFi apps that keep coming online. DeFi never stops growing, and the Ledger Live app grows alongside with it. So click the link in the show notes to see all of the DeFi apps that Ledger Live has, and stay tuned as more apps come online. 
And if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, what are you even waiting for? Go to ledger.com, grab a Ledger, download Ledger Live, and get all of your DeFi apps all in one space. Hey guys, we are back with the takes of the week. Uh, I'm gonna start with this one. This is my own. It's weird that CZ, that is the CEO of Binance, he's almost richer than Elon Musk, and no one outside crypto knows who he is. Mainstream completely ignores this industry. I really feel like that's the case, David. I was reading this article about CZ, and he said that he intends eventually to donate up to 99% of his wealth to charity, which is you know great. That's a noble cause. And also mentioned almost like as a as a, um, a, a footnote that he's also potentially worth 200 billion dollars, billion with a B. And I looked this up, and like this is in the ballpark of the top five richest people in the world. This is like Elon Musk level rich, who is currently the wealthiest uh, individual in the world. And what's crazy to me is like no one's talking about it now. Keep keep in mind, of course, uh, a lot of CZ's wealth is tied up in BNB, but I mean, a lot of Elon's Musk is right. tied up in Tesla stock. Right. Apples, and apples. Yeah. yeah, what's what's weird to me is just like no one is talking about this industry, and yeah. it's it's gotten really big, right? Like potentially ha- has the wealthiest individual in the world coming from it, right? It's like, I don't love a lot of CZ's tactics, but like if you're if you're looking at the wealthiest individuals in the world, he would be close to the top and he's gaining on Elon Musk. Why do you think mainstream is not talking about this stuff? Yeah, that's a really good question. I didn't know this until you brought this up. CZ, he's not the most like, he doesn't really market himself, right? He doesn't really have too much of an ego as far as I can tell. He definitely has a desire for money. He definitely wants to pick up every single penny that's on the table. Uh, The statement of I want to donate 99% of my wealth, like, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what to, what to think about that. Uh, like it's all, it's all assets, right? It's not like he has v- probably not very much cash on hand. These are all assets. And so there's, there's that, like, there's that movement on the left. There's like, Oh, like the, the billionaires have like billions and billions of dollars, but they're not giving any way to like the poor people. Right. Well, it's not really a fair comparison because if it's all assets, you actually don't have that money. You only have assets. And if you start selling assets, you actually start collapsing the price. And so you destroy other people's capital too. Uh, it's not really a fair comparison. Um, but yeah, like shit, what does a man do with $200 billion? Yeah. I don't know. And he certainly wouldn't have the liquidity to like market yes. dump $200 billion right. of, of BNB, but, um, yeah, it's, it's just interesting observation. I feel like mainstream is still not picking up on this industry. Uh, what's the next take, David? Uh, this one I thought was pretty interesting. This is uh, Willy Wu uh, comparing the Bitcoin chart versus the ProShares Bitcoin EDF trading hours visualized. And so on the top, you see the Bitcoin chart, which is this very cohesive line that moves from right to left. And on the bottom, you have the Bitcoin ETF, which only trades during trading hours on like, you know, the the NYSE or wherever that gets traded on. Banker hours, nine to four. Banker, banker hours, right? And just look at the incompleteness in the charts. For, for the listeners, the top chart is the Bitcoin chart. It's a full chart. Every single candle is connected. On the bottom, it's like... 80% black space with Lights huge out. gaps, huge <laughs> gaps of time between Entire like the days. trades. And so like, it's like you're trying to fill in the gaps 
between these different lines and you just don't know what Bitcoin does between the things. Which is the better market? Which is which gives you more information? Which is just obviously better? It's clearly the market that trades 24-7. And it's not like when we made the NASDAQ, we started making markets. Markets historically trade 24-7. Every single market, every single second of every people's lives, there's a market somewhere. And so it just makes sense that these markets move into 24-7 uh, trading times. Yeah, and I, I like that, David. And here's uh, Willie Wu's take on the bottom of the tweet. It's like going two steps backwards so legacy investors can have access uh, to the old industrial way along with the old industrial rent seekers in between you and the asset that's what these that that's why we have the, these blank spaces is because it's just old industrial technology and um yeah it's 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 like not in, in addition to the blank blank spaces and the worst markets we're also dealing with rent collectors in between, which is like uh, crazy to me that that um, you know an ETF would be thought of as a better product. Is the black spaces between all the trading markets? That is literally centralization instantiated. Yes. The only reason that exists is because people actually can literally turn off the markets. Bitcoin has a complete end-to-end -end chart for every single second of every single day because it's decentralized. There's no one that can turn it off. And so when you see those gaps of the trading hours pause, you say, well, that's thanks to centralization. Well, yeah. One thing I would say is like, um, I guess you can turn the exchanges off, right? The centralized exchanges. Mm -hmm. But like, um, I, I totally see where you're going with this. And like something like a Uniswap would be a great example right. of like, that's going to be like going uh, until the end of time until Ethereum is dead. And uh, right. yeah, completely removes that that exchange centralization as well. What's this take? Uh, this is about uh, DAOs. Yeah, this is coming from Nick Nara Naragi, who's apparently part of Constitution DAO, as you can tell from the Constitution comma comma that you can see in his name. Uh, Nick says, DAOs are games. And governance are game rules. And he says, the magic of smart contracts is that we no longer need referees. Uh, and so that last line I really, really like, where the EVM is now this global referee, which is inherently unbiased. You can't bribe the referee. The referee can't play favorites with what, uh, with what teams are being played. And then he goes on, he, and he adds on that each DAO is its own game. And the way that every DAO determines what the rules are, are via governance. But the rules can't be broken thanks to the power of smart contracts. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, what's this take? This is your take, I mm. think. Yeah, this is this is a take that I uh, was following up from Alex Kruger, who's a, a, a Bitcoin trader, uh, big big Bitcoiner. I would I think he's a Bitcoin maxi, and he goes, Bitcoin plus Solana is greater than Ethereum. It's just common sense. Ethereum is trying to do it all itself. That's how you fail. Bitcoin will always be safer and more decentralized. Solana will always be faster and cheaper. Uh, and so this is the barbell theory, right? Like let's let's optimize for decentralization on security heavily, heavily, heavily with Bitcoin, and then let's use Solana to optimize for faster and cheaper. My rebuttal to this is I, I say Ethereum's design funnels economic energy from a fast and cheap layer two system into a security budget for the layer one. It's literally the best of both worlds and it gets the tailwinds of having a single network effect versus two fractured ones. And I say broke barbell theory, woke Goldilocks zone. And to expand upon this, Ethereum is what it's doing. Is it's it's 
mimicking Bitcoin on the layer one and it's security, uh, uncompromising security, uncompromising decentralization. But the layer twos on Ethereum, which are distinct and separate from the layer ones, are where you get the Solana type activity, the fast and cheap economic activity. And the power of rollups funnels all of that economic activity into a security budget. So where Bitcoin doesn't have a, a security budget because it has the hard cap, Ethereum does because it pulls that economic energy from the L2s and turns that into the, when I was talking earlier about chains being the ultimate consumers of Ethereum block space, blockchains consume Ethereum block space and pay for security budget. And that's how you get the best of both worlds. Yeah, I, I feel like this is a common like Bitcoin take, right? This is the yeah. reason I think many Bitcoin, particularly the maximalists, are so fine with scaling on on side chains, effectively exchanges, right? Use something like a BlockFi or a Binance uh, for your trading or a BlockFi for your collateralized loans is because they just want to optimize Bitcoin to be the money and then they're fine with the banking layer being uh, being more centralized, right? This is kind of a, a play on that. I, I really do believe some of these chains like uh, the, the avalanches of the world, the Solanas of the world that have not optimized for maximum decentralization, the, the base layer, like even the terrors of the world, they're a bit more like fintech-y than they are mm -hmm. layer one blockchains, right? So like they have an element of centralization that makes them a bit more like a, a crypto bank. And I think a Bitcoiner is kind of fine with that yeah. because that is how they want to scale the monetary supremacy of Bitcoin is on like side chains and even uh, Ethereum like competitors, I guess, or even on Ethereum itself. So it is consistent, I guess, from that perspective. But yeah, to me, it's it's never really made sense, right? It's like mm -hmm. you're not going to have maximum decentralization unless you decentralize the banking layer as well, right? Like you have to have that that DeFi layer, uh, and that's important. And so like you need both the the monetary asset and uh, the the banking layer to be one and the same on the same network. That's kind of the Ethereum approach. So, but this is a popular narrative, David. It's like yeah, it's, it was grown popular in popularity of the last like three to six months. Yeah, and I, I think I want to reiterate that one one uh, statement I make, and I says I say. And it gets the tailwinds of having a single network effect versus two fractured ones. When a Solana gets adopted, that kind of means little to nothing for Bitcoin and vice versa. If Bitcoin gets adopted as a money, it kind of doesn't really mean much for Solana because these two things have their own network effects, their own moats, their own reasons for existence. Ethereum is one network that does both. And the consolidation of, of both network effects being in the same spot, the money network effect, the DeFi network effect, like it's now it's the same network. And really the story of crypto is the consolidation of so many different networks. Just like TCIP is a network, now we have the EVM. Ether is a money, liquidity begets liquidity, money begets money, network effects beget, beget network effects. If you put all the network effects into the same spot, like that's what Ethereum is. Well, that's what we've said. It's like the dual flywheel, right? The two flywheels mm -hmm. of ultrasound money, which is Ether the asset, and then ultrasound scalability, which is Ethereum's um, you know, modular blockchain design, right? It's, kind, it's going to be hard to compete with that yeah. in the in the medium to long term. Uh, we'll see how all this shapes out. But uh, yeah, I agree with your take here. All right, here's another take, David. This is uh, from a post that you published in Bankless on why Web3 will win, right? So it's like Web3 versus Web2 versus the nation state. These are the, uh, the three participants in this three-way battle. Um, you say this, while Congress wants to break up the Web2 giants as an antitrust effort, ENS Domains just airdropped 50% 
uh, of its token to 137,000 people, where Web2 centralizes power, Web3 distributes it. And that was uh, your post this week on, on Bankless. So um, dive into this, uh, this take here. What, what did you mean? Yeah, a little over a year ago, the four leaders of the Web2 world, like Apple, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Google, uh, the CEOs of each were all uh, summoned to Congress because they were fearful of just like how big these things are getting, like are, how monopolistic they are. And so each one of these uh, leaders, like uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, uh, the other uh, Tim Cook, I think was also there, uh, they all had to defend themselves as to like why they're not a massive monopoly, right? They had to all pitch themselves, hey, we are constant constantly in fear of being disrupted uh like there's so much innovation that we need that we need to work on and competition is good for the consumer basically defending why they're not not a monopoly uh and the reason why they got summoned to congress is because of antitrust laws where you know antitrust is allegedly good for consumers my conspiracy is that well if you have a monopoly as big as these web 2 companies they're actually starting to infiltrate into what would be government services things like identity with facebook and data like google um and so, like, the, the reason why governments feel the threat from Web2 world is because the Web2 companies are starting to become as powerful as governments themselves. Meanwhile, and so that, that's why governments want to break these things up. They want to break up Facebook into its component parts, like, make these things smaller in the name of antitrust, which is part of, part of American history. We don't like monopolies. And so while these Web2 companies are just like clawing teeth and nail for any ability to maintain their monopoly power, because by the way, their products are their monopoly, right? Every single one of these companies, their products get better when they have a more mon uh, mon larger monopoly upon the people, right? The more data that Google has, the better Google can provide. The more people that are on Facebook, the larger social networks there are. And so the business model of Web2 is a monopoly. That's how this thing, these things work. And so they are just fighting government tooth and nail to not get broken up because that is the core component of their business. In stark contrast to the Web2 versus the government world, we see the Web3 world, which is distributing greater than 50% of its token supply to as many different participants as possible as early as possible. It's in the ethos and best interest of Web3 apps to give away their power, give away control to the community as soon as possible. It is literally doing the thing that government is asking Web3 to do voluntarily, voluntarily and, and early in its lifespan, not late, not as a threat, but as a principle. Uh, and so this should be what governments really, really want to see out of these new disruptive technologies. And the only way that you can really disrupt a massive Web2 monopoly is not just by making another competitor to Facebook, by doing, but instead is by doing something in Web3. And so all of these DeFi apps, DeFi protocols, Web3 systems, they are going to be the things that disrupt Web2 because it has to come in a, in a different substrate, right? And this is the substrate that is required to actually break these things up. And I finished the post off by saying like this strips the government of the emperors of their clothes, right? Because they are, even though they are Web3 apps are doing the things that governments want the Web2 companies to do, governments are still fighting the Web3 apps, which lent, tells you exactly what you need to know, that this is not about consumer protection. This is about protecting their power and control over the people. And so that was my big long take this week in the, mar in the Market Monday opening note. Yeah, I you know I think we said before basically you'll be able to it's an acid test for how authoritarian a country you live in is their response to crypto and web3 mm -hmm. technologies, right? It's like do they do they do they shun them? Are they scared of them? Are they fearful of them? Or do they do they embrace them? Do they welcome uh, additional self-sovereignty and power to the people? Uh, it tells you a lot about what kind of nation you really live in. 
And so I think all nation states are going through this acid test, right? It's like, mm -hmm. we'll see. I mean, the outcome is still decided for the, for the US, for example. We were talking about India earlier and their classification. Like, all these countries are sort of wrestling with this. And hopefully, uh, we come out on the other side with an embrace of Web3. But it really does show you where their priorities are for sure. Um, totally. Let's talk about this. So this is something I realized this week, David, uh, and I tweeted this out. Fake Twitter accounts are about to be killed by NFTs. Once Twitter incorporates NFTs in order to, uh, in order to spoof my account, you'd actually need to own my NFT. NFTs will become the blue check mark. They're unforgeable, costly, self-sovereign identity. This is how crypto is fixing Web2 identity one block at a time, like one identity block at a time is what I meant. And it's really, it's like, I don't know if you've been getting these on Twitter, right? But it's like all of these fake accounts, right? And so somebody will message me every single day and just say, hey, I just got messaged by a fake uh, Ryan Sean Adams. Uh, I had this back and forth with this fake Ryan Sean Adams. Sometimes they'll, they'll show me like DMs right. of this fake Ryan who's like, asking them for money or inviting them to a telegram group or just doing right. other shady things. And when I have time to respond, there's so many of these, like, I'm just like, Oh, that wasn't me. I'm sorry. Like, you know, uh, and they always ask me if there's something I could do with it. Well, it's like, it's impossible. It's whack-a-mole, right? Yeah. Like you can block, you can report, you can do all of these things, but you can't hunt these people down. What's different is if I have an NFT that I own, let's say my turtle, David, or my, my Dow Punk NFT that I own, and I uh, get that authenticated, right, on-chain on and through Twitter, basically, the, the, uh, the spoof account, the fake Ryan Sean Adams, would have to actually purchase my NFT in order to fake me. Now, that's assuming that Twitter not only like validates NFTs, but also validates NFT collections or ENS addresses or that sort of thing, which is not too far of a logic leap. But it's super interesting to me that in one fell swoop, with the adoption of NFTs, you can basically eliminate spoofed accounts. Because right, anyone who sees a Ryan Sean Adams without my NFT, right, they'll know it's not me. Right. And so, wow, maybe we've just created an identity primitive, a combination of ENS and NFTs on and Twitter authentication on chain. It's, it's kind of a cool realization. Not that, tw that um, Twitter is just going to integrate NFTs, but that NFTs are going to become Twitter's blue check mark. And they're also exportable to any other social media website as well. Yeah, this really just lends itself to the uh, Defining the Metaverse podcast that, that we did together. And if listeners haven't listened to that, you totally should. Um, and we talked about NFTs as the identity vehicle for manifesting your digital form into the metaverse, right? Like Ryan Sean Adams, the human, doesn't actually, can't actually exist in the metaverse, but Ryan's turtle can. And Ryan's turtle is very, a very unique one of one, you know, it's a very specific turtle. Uh, there only can be one of those. And as a representation of identity inside of Twitter, it works there. And like you said, it also works everywhere else that the metaverse manifests. Oh my God, that's the nicest thing you've ever said about my turtle, David. Wow. <laughs> <That> it's unique. <laughs> I'm touched. It's one of one. It's don't, unique. Don't, don't get used to it. Don't get used to it. <laughs> All right, It was man. meant to illustrate a point. <laughs> what are you excited about this week, David, besides my turtle? So I'm excited to go home next week for Thanksgiving. Uh, I, have a, I have a nephew. I've only met him like three or four times. He's the, one of the cutest little kids ever. Uh, and he's like four months older now that now this is the last time I saw him. So I'm excited. I'm excited to go home, see some family. It's been a while since I've been home in Seattle. Uh, so I'm excited to go home, play with my nephew. What's his name, David? Uh, his full name is Lincoln, but we call him Link. 
Lincoln. Okay, Link. Yeah. It looks like Link is looking outside for you in this picture. Yeah. That I'm wait wait for like, me to come home. He's yeah. like, Uncle David, where's my NFT that you promised me? <laughs> where's my tiny turtle? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If, if you, I think there's another picture here if you want to scroll down and just we can have this like cute baby photos time on Bankless. Look at him. Look at his teeth. Ah, he's cute. Cute little kid. <laughs> cute little cute. kid. You have any more? Right. No, just, just, just two. Just two. Uh, all right, Ryan, what are you excited about? Uh, I'm excited about uh, the Constitution DAO, man. That's a really cool project. Um, yeah, so back to like a, a, a statement I made before that I really feel like it's not just the 1990s. People always compare crypto to the 1990s. It's more like the 1790s because we are actually creating new decentralized governance protocols on which we can build all sorts of other things. Like we can build entire economies on top of networks like Ethereum. And so the uh, the Constitution is kind of a throwback to that, right? So think about the Constitution. It was written as a decentralized protocol for governance. And on top of that, an entire nation was built, right? An entire economy, right? This is, um, you know, why people go west. This is why immigrants came to Ellis Island for the land of opportunity, right? For these vast open white spaces of opportunity. And I feel like, uh, that's what Ethereum is providing now. And so purchasing the Constitution is kind of like, um, it's just like the meme is the message, right? What What's the meme? It's the meme that the people are back, right? We care about decentralized protocols. And now we have a new set of institutions and decentralized protocols that's going to like, um, you know, govern societies into the, the 21st century. So I really like the, the ability, the raw power to, to buy the constitution of a group of people on the internet in a capital pool. And I love the message that this sends to the broader narrative. I think there's something sim, uh, symbolic here. So again, I don't know at the time of recording if they're successful or not, but just the fact that they got to this amount of funds uh, and are making a bid, that in and of itself is a victory. So I'm pretty excited about constitution, Dallin. Where does it go from here, man? Like, feels like crypto is just buying like bigger and bigger things. Uh, the projects are getting bigger. The coordination's getting more interesting. The, the tooling's coming along. So, uh, yeah, maybe the Wells Fargo uh, Arena in Philadelphia is not uh, not too far away. I don't know. I, I think that's really the right question. I I, I think that buying the Constitution might be pretty easy for them, especially because they have double the money that they that they needed to. I mean, well, TBD on that. But it's really the the what I'm excited about is like see what happens next because they're going to have millions of do- of excess dollars. And now they're going to have a bunch of people with a shared purpose and shared vision, and they're going to have to figure out what that thing is. And then they're going to figure out, like, do exactly what Pleaser Dow did, which is, well, the first thing that they buy is just the first thing, like what happens next. And so maybe we have a brand new, a brand new player has entered the crypto arena, and that is yeah, Constitution Dow. That could totally be the case. Absolutely. All right, David, you want to get to the memes of the week? Meme of the week. We got two of them this week. Here's the first one. What are we looking at? Yeah, this is Steven Doge Toshi, who works at The Block, and he writes on a tweet, me sitting in a six-figure APY Ponzi while the SEC goes after BlockFi for 3%. And it's the, the uh, shifty eyes, like, puppet puppet meme, just like, oh, don't look at me. I love that. This, goes, this lends itself right back to the uh, to the meme of the week that we had last week, where the SEC was the army man protecting yeah. uh, the users from airdrops while letting crypto scams just, like, fly out of them. Yeah. yeah. So Good old SEC. 
doing and then the second meme of the week is a meme that, that i made while i was trying to get myself to pass a hundred thousand followers on twitter before did you I do it by the way i did i did it yeah Congratulations, this, this, is, this is the meme that meme that did it and uh, th this meme is the classic billy learning the value of a dollar meme uh, the format is like a father giving billy like a dollar it's like all right son like you need to make sure that you like spend this money wisely uh and then you, the next Thing you see is Billy like taking the money to a vending machine. I've reformatted this uh, this this tweet, and it's uh, Ryan goes, David. Here's our company profit share for this quarter. <laughs> Remember to set some aside for bear markets and taxes. And then the third panel is me just like buying as much ether as possible with it, and then Ryan saying, "All right, good talk." Oh my god, dude! I swear to God. <laughs> We do have that talk like often. I'm just time, always like, yeah. hey, you know, you should remember these things. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's where the money goes. Apparently now I know. Yeah. I, I suspected for a long time, David, but I feel like this is a confession tweet that you're using that money. You're just buying more ETH with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is the confession. And I do appreciate the guidance and, <laughs> and advice. Uh, but man, Ether is just like too damn compelling, man. Ah, it's pretty attractive. Can't, I can't, get it. Can't get away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Guys. I, I, I do one thing. I, I, I take dollars and I buy Ether. That's what I do. Yeah. And I do one thing, which is I tax optimize. As we know, the tax <laughs> optimizer cannot stop. So um, yeah, remember bear market and taxes, guys. That's, mm -hmm. the, uh, that's what the father in this meme is telling you. Uh, Just like right. last week, guys, Ryan is about to give his famous disclaimers about going west. But before, after that is a moment of zen where you will hear all about uh, Jonathan Mann, the song A Day Man, who we featured last week with the ENS drop, a new song about bored apes. Here's the disclaimer. None of this has been financial advice. ETH is risky. Bitcoin is risky. So is DeFi. You could definitely lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Enjoy your moment of Zen. Huge mistake, I made a huge mistake. I accidentally sold my board ape. I thought I had enlisted him, but unfortunately, just now I saw him accidentally. Six months ago, on the 30th of May, thought maybe I'd sell him, but then I changed my mind. I thought I had to list in him, but no. Oops. Hey, 
we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.